We're in the middle of, uh, actually we're in the third installment of our series entitled In the Know. And it comes from the book of 1 John, uh, chapter 5, verse 13, where he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So what we're doing, what we're doing in this series is we're going through the book of 1 John, and we're saying this is what God says about being in the know. Or more simply put, this is what God says so that you may know that you are indeed a child of the living God. And the reason we're doing this is because John says it's important. It's an important topic. And that's the purpose of this whole book. It's so that you may know that you have eternal life. Um, this morning, um, I stand here in this pulpit and the burden is really heavy on my, on my heart this morning. And it, it's, not, it's not the fact that I, there's big shoes to fill and, and stepping into this pulpit with Pastor Phil. It's, it's more of the content. Anytime we stand under the Word of God with you guys, it's, there's a tendency to, uh, to make you want to make you guys happy. And it's not always, it's not what we're supposed to do. So I stand here this morning and I'm, I'm confident, not in, my, not in my ability to deliver a good sermon, but I'm confident in what God says, who, what God says about me and who I am. You know, to be in the know, I mean, if you were to ask somebody, if you were to ask somebody outside the walls of this church, some, some might even say, and matter of fact, it's the popular opinion that if you ask somebody, can you know God? They would, they would, they would, they would look at that as an arrogant statement. How can, how can you know God? God is so much bigger than us. How can you know Him? And, it's, and the, the, the truth about Christianity is that it's not so much about what we say and what we do, but it's more about what is said and what has been done about us and for us. If I were to ask you, are you a citizen of the United States, you might say, yeah. Now, if I asked you why, you would say, well, because I was born here, or because I pay my taxes, or because I support the troops. Or it's because every time I'm at a basketball game or a football game or a basketball game, when they do the national anthem, I, I sing it. But the, the thing about citizenship, it's not how you behave. There are many people in this country who behave as citizens, but they're really not citizens. The determining factor of citizenship is if the government has given you citizenship rights. If, they've given, if the government has said, you are a citizen, we give you the rights that are included in being a, a member of the United States, being a citizen of the United States. Christianity in the like same way. Has God given you the right? It comes out of 1 John, I mean, the book of John, chapter 1, verse 12, where John says, to those who believe, he gave the right to become children of God. 
You know, the thing about, a citizen, about citizenship is that you're either, you're either a citizen or you're not. There's no in-between. You may be in the process of becoming a citizen, but you're not a citizen. And the same, is, same with Christianity. You either, you're either have been born again, God has removed your sin through the sacrifice of His perfect Son, or you're, you're not. He hasn't given you the rights. And that's what this series, that's what this series is about. Have, has God given you the rights? And if He has, how do you know? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna continue in our series, and I hope you guys are encouraged this morning. Um, let me start by sharing a story. In November of last year, um, my, family, my family went through a really traumatic experience, and uh, it was a really, really hard time for us. I had just come out of reconstructive knee surgery uh, a few weeks prior, so I was, I was still on the downstairs sofa uh, when I came up with this brilliant idea. Let's go get some ice cream. And I say it's, it's, it was a brilliant idea because it was my idea, for one. And, uh, but, the, but my wife quickly shot that down and said, no, let's just watch the movie instead. So we watched the movie, and you know, the thing about mentioning ice cream when you're with your kids, they don't forget that stuff. You know what I mean? It's like when they bug you at the, at the beginning of the month when you pay your bills, and they bug you for a toy, and you're like, nah, wait till payday. You're hoping they'll forget. And they know the teeth's coming. You know what I mean? That's what it was like. And my kids didn't, they didn't forget. So after the movie, my youngest son, Jaden, was like, so how about that ice cream, Dad? And I was like, yeah, yeah, we're going to go get some. We're going to go get, babe, you're going to have to go get some ice cream. Sorry. And so, so she went. It was, uh, wasn't the best idea I've ever had. It was, it was dark. We, we live in Vallejo. It was about 845. It was already dark. And the Dairy Queen is on Springs Road. And uh, I remember my wife and my oldest son being gone no more than 15 minutes when I got a phone call from a, a number I didn't really recognize. And so I, I looked at my phone and I was like, hmm, I better answer this. This could be important. And uh, as it turns out, I was the Vallejo Police Department. <laughs> now, I don't know how many of you in here, in here have ever had a phone call like that. And I pray that you don't. Because when I heard the police officer identify herself, my heart sank. I mean, I was terrified. And I was preparing in my heart to hear the worst news that I would ever hear. I don't know how you, I don't, I don't even know, I don't even know how that works. It's, it's funny how your mind works, though, because... My first reaction was fear that something terrible had happened. And then my next question was, Vallejo Police Department? What the heck? You guys actually exist? <laughs> I thought I had a better chance at a, at a Bigfoot site. I've been, here, I've been here a year and a half. And I hadn't seen but maybe two of them. And I was like, wow, that's rare. <laughs> it's funny how the mind works, isn't it? It turns out my wife and my son, they were okay. They were okay. Uh, they had been, actually been robbed at gunpoint while they were waiting for their ice cream. And uh, 
And I was so stoked when I heard when she said, your wife and your son are okay. They're okay. I was just immediately relieved. And uh, I, as, as soon as I heard, I got off the phone and I, text, I, I sent a text message to Pastor Dave Hurtado and I let him know what happened. Let me just say something about Valley Bible Church. If you're here this morning or maybe you're going through membership classes or you, maybe you've been coming for a while and you don't really have an idea of the people here at Valley Bible Church, let me just say this. Within minutes of me texting Pastor Hurtado what had happened, within minutes, our Valley Bible Church family was there. They were knocking at my door. If you were, if you were there that night, let me just say thank you. Thank you for, being, for offering a shoulder to cry on. Men, thank you for taking my boy and making sure he was processing this through, the, through, the, through a godly lens. Thank you for your prayers and your comfort. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of people that are at Valley Bible Church. <clears throat> this event really just, it, this event, it really just changed our lives upside down because what happened for the next month or so, I was, I was gripped with fear and doubt. So much to the point where we would go somewhere, I was like looking, I was paranoid. Every time I saw a guy that fit the description, I was like, is that him? Is that him? Let's go. Give me your purse. I'll hold on to it. He ain't getting it from me. You know, one of the things that we did, one of the things that I would do is I would sleep during the day and stay up at night to guard my home. And one of the things that we would do, and you remember this, is we would, uh, we would put blankets over the windows so that no one could see in because we were afraid. We were afraid. The reason we were afraid is because they had our address. It was so easy for them to just pull a gun and take, take uh, my wife had my wallet. I know. There goes my man card, but whatever. She had my wallet. Not only did they take my wallet and her belongings, everything had been taken from us. They didn't just, they didn't just take our, our cell phones and our credit cards and, uh, and our wallets. They took our sense of security. That sense of security that we had was shattered. So I would stay up at night and sleep during the day, and we would cover our windows. We were shrinking in fear. I was shrinking in fear. I was still sleeping on the couch because I couldn't make it upstairs. So every, all the kids, would, we'd air up the air mattress and they would sleep downstairs with me. We were shrinking in fear. What's going to stop them? I mean, I used to be a criminal. I know how they think. That was an easy lick. I'll just go back and get more. And this thought really changed my mindset. It changed me. It changed me so that I was on guard. When I realized that my most valuable possessions, and I'm talking about my wife and kids, when I realized that their safety was at stake, when I realized that truth, something changed in me. I decided I was no longer going to shrink back in fear, but I was going to be on guard. So I did what every person in my situation should do. I called Kirby Hughes. 
And if you don't know Kirby Hughes, go shake his hand and spend five minutes with him and you'll know why I called him. He's like a Secret Service ninja warrior or something. He's, uh, he's bad to the bone. Don't shrink back. Now I'll get back to how that happened a little bit later on. But let me say this. Let me say this first. When it comes to the truth, we can't afford to shrink back. When it comes to the assurance that the Word of God provides to the believer, we have too much at stake, and we can't afford to shrink back. Well, this is where we find ourselves. This is where we find ourselves in the second half of the second chapter of the book of 1 John. We know from last week that there are four tests or four things that we can look to to see if they are present in our lives. So, and by those things, we know that we are in the know. And John continues this line of thinking and gives three more examples of how we can be in the know. And I want to give them to you this morning, but I want to give them to you in the form of a question. So let's turn to 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18, and we'll, walk, we'll, we'll ask the first question. Are you on guard? Are you guarding yourself? Verse 18 says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. I'm going to stop right there. This term, the last hour, it's an eschatological term referring to the time that began when the Son of God entered this world. What John is saying here, he's simply saying, we are in the last leg of the race. Jesus Christ has come and accomplished our salvation. Jesus Christ has come and has accomplished for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. None of us in here can save ourselves. None of us in here can rescue ourselves from the messed up situation we're in as sinners. We need someone bigger, better, and stronger than we are to deliver us from this mess. And that's what Jesus did. He came, he accomplished our salvation, and now he sits, he's ascended into heaven, and we're now awaiting his return, which will be in epic fashion. It's kind of like this. You know that one part when you're watching that action movie, and uh, the villain actually defeats the, the good guy, the hero, right? And he thinks he's all like, he's all arrogant because he thinks he's won. He's like, ha ha, I just defeated the bad guy. I got the briefcase full of money and I'm going to take the, his girlfriend and I'm going to go get on the getaway plane, right? And you're like, oh no, the, the hero has been defeated and the villain's getting away. And you know that when this moment, when this part of the movie happens, you know it's about to get ugly. You know what I mean? Denzel Washington's about to come in and he's going to take over. You know what I mean? He's about to do some damage, some serious damage, right? So you have this shot of the bad guy getting on the plane and he's giving his goons some, uh, some, some orders and then at the same time you have this, it goes back to the shot and Denzel Washington's doing his sit-ups and he's, he's doing push-ups and he's getting his gear on, he's getting all these weapons and he's, he's telling his best friend that I hope I, I hope I get to see you again but I'm just going to go all in on this, right? You know that when that scene's over, it's about, it's on, right? This dude, he's, gonna, he's working on his ninja skills, and he's going to go, he's going to, he's going to go rescue the girl and defeat the bad guy. You know that's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know that you're towards the end of the movie when that starts to take place, right? That's the picture here. 
That's what's going on. The last hour began at the first coming of Jesus Christ, and the end of this hour will commence with the coming of the Antichrist. In the meantime, many Antichrists are, seek, are, are they're present today, and they're seeking to subvert the message of Christ right here, right now. Though the term Antichrist only occurs in John's letters, the concept of the, the, concept of the word is repeated throughout Scripture. So John's readers were familiar with the term Antichrist. Just, they, they knew Daniel. They've read Daniel before. They knew that the guy was, they knew that this, this figure, this historical figure was going to come and he was going to be, he was going to be against Christ and he was going to undo, try to undo everything that Christ had done in this world. Many of you may hear, right now, might be hoping for my view of the end times and um, my view of the answer, Antichrist, but um, we're not going to get into that this morning because what John is saying to his readers is, is more important. He's saying, be on guard against this guy who is coming. Wait, wait, even more, be on guard against the many who are already here and are deceiving believers in the like same manner. Are you on guard? There are many in the pulpit this morning all across the United States who are leading people astray with a self-help message that is disguised in genuine Christianity. Many bookstores, even Christian bookstores, are filled with books that speak of a special anointing and that if you can get it, if you can just get the special anointing, you'll be closer to God than you ever have been before. Many TV evangelists are being broadcast into our homes every day that claim that they have a new revelation from God that is over and above the word that we have in our hands right here this morning. Are you guarding yourself from the teaching? Are you guarding yourself? Are you, regarding, are you guarding yourself from the teaching that says it's okay to live in promiscuity and sin and debauchery? Are you guarding yourself? Are you guarding yourself from the teaching that says you can have anything you want? Name it. Ferrari. Ask God for it. Give me $100. It's done. Are you guarding yourself? You see, false teachers are not that hard to, not that hard to spot. Their passions will always be revealed in what they teach. Their lack of truth, love, and perseverance are evidences that they are not believers. Heresy always come from within, from the heart. Let me tell you something. There's been, never, never been a greater need for Christians to rise up and stand for truth more than there is today. I believe that. Are you on guard? Let's pick up in verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, 
then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. In these six verses I just read right here, John does something pretty cool. And you have to look really closely to see it. He gives us a series of alternative statements that progressively highlight the difference between a false teacher, false believer, and a genuine Christian. The first alternative statement is in verse 19 where John describes where they are and who they are. They being the false teachers and false believers, 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Why did they leave? But they went out that it might be complained that they are all, they all are not of us. You see, as the early church grew in the first century, so did the need for leadership. And within the leadership rose, rose up false teachers who tried to divide the church with the claim of a new revelation from God. These new, these new leaders were essentially saying, hey, follow us. Don't follow them. Don't follow the apostles. They're old school. We got this new revelation going on, and it's awesome. We have a new teaching. We have a special anointing. But John says, no, they are not of us, and it is evident that they are not of us because they wouldn't have left us if they were of us. That's who they are. That's where they are. They're no longer with us. Verse 20, but you... You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Ooh. There's the alternative right there. John says that we are different from those guys. He says if you're in Christ, you're different. You've been anointed. We are different from those who seek to divide. We're different in two ways. We have two things that they don't. One... We are anointed. This is, this, is, this, is a, this is a common theme in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22 says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We are anointed. They ain't. They ain't got it. We got it. The second thing. We have knowledge, and that knowledge comes from Jesus Christ. John 14, 6 says, Jesus, in response to when they, when they asked him who he was, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus Christ is the very embodiment of truth. He is the picture of truth. You see, God not only talks to man about himself in the word of God, God shows man what he is like in the person of Jesus Christ. We can look at Jesus and see a perfect picture of, who, of the truth of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, shows us exactly what God is like. So John says, these are the things that separate us from them. They are the ones who left, and we are the ones with anointing, and we are the ones with truth. There is no need for more anointing, John says, because the anointing you have teaches you all truth and this is how you know verse 22 who is a liar but he who denies that jesus is the christ this is the antichrist 
He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. This is the second alternative, and this is also where the progression takes place when it comes to describing they, who they are and what they claim and who we are and who and what we claim. You see, let me, let, me just, let me just stop right there and say, when I say we, I mean those who have been born again by the Spirit of God. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about everybody. Unfortunately, I'm not talking about everybody that is sitting in a pew right now. Sitting in a pew does not make you a Christian any more than going to In-N-Out makes me a double-double animal style. That, that's, that's what's true. So we being those who have been reborn, those who have been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, that's who we are. These false teachers, they not only claim to have a special anointing, but they also denied that Jesus was indeed God. In all probability, the, this was the other half of their message. They claim that the special anointing from God said, hey, God has revealed something to us. And that, and that is this truth, that Jesus isn't God. Matter of fact, he's not even, he's, he's not even a deity. He's, he, there's, there's, no, there's no divine essence in him at all. That's the new revelation. So come follow us. That was their anointing. That was their special truth. And John is saying that in denying the Son, they are denying the Father. You can't have, he's saying you can't have a special revelation from the Father because you're denying the Son in that special revelation. No new revelation from God denies the Son. You deny the Son, you deny the Father. And that's what John is saying. These are the Antichrist. That's what makes them Antichrist. Those who deny the Son... That's Antichrist. If you deny the Son, you deny the Father. And what I'm about to say is probably going to sting a little bit. But anytime, anytime we value something other than Jesus Christ as a thing we deem most necessary to our lives, we too deny the Son, and in doing so, deny the Father. Remember, this term antichrist, it means against or in place of. And whatever it is in our lives that we turn to as our source of everlasting joy and approval is against or in place of Jesus Christ. It could be a relationship, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It could be sex. It could be your marriage. It could manifest itself as work, money, a house, school, a hobby, a car, a possession, a passion. Even the salvation of our very own children can replace Jesus Christ as the thing we deem most necessary to our lives. The reason I say that is because that's where it strikes a chord with me. One of the things that Pastor Paul and I do often is we pray for each other's children. We do it, we, I mean, we do it Pastor Sean, Pastor Otato, we pray for each other's children, Pastor Tim. But here's what, here's what I have to come to terms with. If God doesn't save my children, will he still be enough? And if not, then I'm Antichrist. 
because I have placed their salvation as a thing most necessary for me to have joy and approval. That's Antichrist. Anytime we do any of that, we become Antichrist. Against or in place of. That's pretty scary. Scary to think about. See, but John doesn't leave us there. In verse 24, John gives us a safeguard against false teachers, and it's simple. It's a simple message. It's the one that they've heard since the beginning. It's the gospel. Which brings us to the next point or the next question I want to ask you about being in the know. Are you on guard? was the first one. The next one is, does the gospel abide in you? Let's take a look at verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made us. Eternal life. The word abide simply means to make your home in. My wife and I, my family and I, we just moved to a new home in Carriage Hills. And when we first got there, it's empty. It's a beautiful home in a beautiful neighborhood. The carpet is ugly, though. Right? But the more we make our home in that, the more that home takes on the personality of the people who dwell there. In the like same way, if the gospel message abides in us, we become more like the gospel and the way we relate to God and the way we relate to other people. Does the gospel abide in you? Does your personality reflect the reality of the perfect, sinless Son of God exchanging His righteousness for your sin as an undeserved gift? If so, if it, if it does, then tell me, how does God feel about you right now? If the gospel abides in you, then tell me, how does God feel about you right now? And how do you, how do you, how do you determine that? Do you base your answer on what kind of week you've had? How consistent your quiet times have been? Or whether or not you didn't give in to temptation? You see, if the gospel abides in you, then it doesn't matter what kind of week you had. If the gospel abides in you, then no matter how your week went, you can still come in here and fully express yourself in an attitude of worship and praise. And thankfulness because you know that because it's because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that you are accepted by God. And that alone, that's the gospel. I'm not sure, I'm just, just in case that's not clear, let me explain. Okay? The gospel is this, that Christ has suffered the full wrath of God for my sin. Jesus Christ has traded places with me living the perfect life I should have lived, and dying the death that I had been condemned to die. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he literally became my sin so that I could literally become his righteousness. He took my record, he died for it, and he offers me his perfect record in return. I mean, he took my shameful nakedness to clothe me with his righteousness. And when I received that grace and faith and repentance, Full acceptance of the Father becomes mine. That's the gospel. I don't have to turn anywhere else to find joy, to find approval, because I get it from God. And that is the only safeguard against Antichrist. I don't need nothing else. I don't need nothing in place of Christ. 
And the only way I get to that point is by allowing the gospel to make its home in my heart. You see, when the gospel abides in us, we abide in the Father and the Son, and as a result, we get a promise. It's a beautiful promise. Promise of eternal life. Does the gospel abide in you? Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Before we move on, I want to answer some questions that you might have regarding John's statement that you have no, you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, I don't, think what John, I don't think John's saying here that, hey, we don't need pastors or Sunday school teachers because we have an anointing and it teaches us everything. That's not what he's saying. I believe John is referring to the gospel, his gospel, particularly in chapter 14, verse 26, when, he, when Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What he is is saying, what John is saying, is that the Holy Spirit is a sufficient teacher, and you don't need anyone to teach you right from wrong. Right? If you're in the know, you don't need no one to teach you right from wrong. As Christians, we know when we mess up, right? Men, we know when we mess up with our wives, we get that look. You know what look we're talking about. We know we mess up. Same with Christians. We know when we grieve the Spirit, because conviction sets in immediately. That's what John is saying here. He's saying that, that that anointing that you have received teaches you right from wrong. You see, the Holy Spirit is all you need. You don't need anything else because the anointing comes from the Holy Spirit and it's real. It's not counterfeit like the other guys. John is saying, abide in that. Abide in that. That's what John is saying. Verse 28, we're going to finish out the chapter and then we're going to move into the closing uh, portion of this morning's message. But he's, uh, verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practiced righteousness has been born in him. And here's the final question for you. We had, are you, are you on guard Does the gospel abide in you? And the last one is this. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you abiding in Christ? Abiding in Christ simply means that believing that Jesus is is God's Son and making Him not only your Savior, but Lord, continuing to, to believe the gospel and relating in love to the community of believers, which is the body of Christ. The same, the same characteristics we, we see of one who abides in Christ are the same characteristics that Pastor Hurtado gave last week that describe a Christian that is in the know. They're evidences of one who truly abides in Christ. The word abide features in, this, in, the, in these last 11 verses that we read more than any other word. I think there might be some significance there. John gives it to us too. He says, abiding is so important because when he comes back, we won't have to shrink, but rather have confidence that we are in the know. 
Here's what I want to do right quick. I'm going to read to you the first verse and the second to the last verse because I think this is what John is saying. This is what he's saying. He says, children, it's the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. John is saying, look, it's the last hour. You need to be on guard. And he's saying there's, there's an Antichrist, he's coming, and there's Antichrist already here. But in verse 28, he's saying, the reason you need to be on guard is because there is someone who is greater that is coming. He, he will not delay. He is coming. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is coming back for his bride. And that's what John is saying. He's saying, and now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Shrink back. To pick up on the opening story, I called Kirby for a reason because we might figure out the solution to my security problem together, and we did. It's called a Mossberg 12-gauge shotgun. And uh, I slept with that thing under my bed until the day we moved to Carriage Hills. And uh, there, there was no more shrinking back for me when I had that thing. There was too much at stake for me to shrink back. And that shotgun gave me confidence that if these guys showed up, I had a little surprise for them. So where does this all lead? Well, on top of the four things that we learned last week, you can know you are in the know, no, sorry, by guarding against false teachers by letting the gospel abide in you, and finally by abiding in Christ. And we're going to close with this. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. I want you to turn there. Because I need to show you something that's important. Because this right here, this is, this is, like I said earlier, it's not about what we say or do, but what is said about us, right? Well, this is what is said about us in Hebrews 10, verse 32. Um, the writer of Hebrews says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully ex accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that yourselves, you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have a, great, you have a need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Check this out. Here it is. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who have faith and persevere their souls. That's who we are. We being born-again believers in Jesus Christ, we are not those who shrink back. We don't shrink back because we're armed, not with a shotgun, but with truth. And because of, we, uh, because of the fact that we abide in that truth, we have confidence that at the coming of Jesus Christ, we will not have to shrink back in shame. You know that you're in the know when in the midst of this world's overwhelming assault on Christian truth 
and Christian way of life, there is too much at stake for us to stand pet. Don't shrink back. Be on guard. When the world tempts you to find acceptance, approval, purpose, and joy in everything else besides Jesus Christ, don't shrink back. Let the gospel abide in you. When you find yourself in affliction, don't shrink back. Abide in Christ. When temptation and addiction draw you away, don't shrink back. Let the gospel message of Jesus Christ abide in you. When lies fill your head about your worth and you value, remember that God so loved you that He sent His Son to take care of your greatest need. Don't shrink back. Be on guard against the lies of the enemy. Don't shrink back. Abide. 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 Make your home in the love of God. And that's who we are. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for those in here who have assurance this morning, Lord. Father, we have too much at stake for us to just sit back and, and let truth be, be taken away from us, Lord. We are not those who shrink back. Let us abide in the gospel, Lord. Let us abide in your Son. And we know that's where we find our worth and our value. This world is passing away. There's no hope in it. There's no hope in all our possessions, Lord. Our greatest possession is Jesus Christ. And when a Christian, when we, when we know that, when we're in the know, when we know that Jesus Christ is our greatest possession, we'll do everything we can to leverage our resources for the kingdom of God. For those who doubt this morning, Father, I pray. I pray that they know the reason they doubt is because they should. That doubt is simply God's alarm clock saying something's not right between us. If there's anyone in here who doubts, Father, I pray they would come forward, speak to me, one of the elders, one of the pastors here, Lord. We would love to show them how they can have abiding confidence in Jesus Christ. For those who are yours, guard them, empower us, Lord, to live a life that glorifies you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.